Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Talk About Ideas. I am your host, Noor Abuakub, Head of Content at Talk About. And today I have with me Sarah Bakari, who is our Law and Finance and Banking contributor. Hey. Mark Doherty, who is our politics contributor. Hello. And we have Lillian Thomas, who is also a politics contributor. Hello. And today, what we're going to talk about is the UK timeline of events dealing with the coronavirus and all the positives that have come out of it, as well as the negatives. This is Talk About Ideas. So how have you guys found lockdown so far? Um, for me, it's been quite, as a university student, it's been quite, um, I felt quite anxious. There's just a lot of uncertainty around it. Definitely. Likewise, I'm second year and, you know, you don't know if you're going to go into another year of online or if it's going to be in class or what is it. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that as well. I'm going into my third year next year and it's all still up in the air at the moment whether we'll be like doing our dissertation supervision online or whatever. So, yeah, all a bit. No, I completely, um, I completely empathise with you all because I graduated two years ago and I've always I've said like I'd hate to be university that's in it like right now because I just feel like students have been kind of left out of all the conversations currently from like GCSE up until university students I'm currently working from home and it's quite mind-numbing at first I never had the privilege I was like yes I don't have to commute to London now I'm like oh get me back to the office and sick of being at home so yeah grass isn't always greener <laughs> we don't realize how much we miss being outdoors or how much we like to be active outdoors doing stuff or working until until a pandemic hits and we have our force <laughs> to stay indoors. Exactly. Um, you guys, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my earliest memory of anything to do with Corona was in, in March, maybe a week before the 23rd of March where everything started to go down and we started to hear um, news about a possible lockdown. How about you, when, when, what's your earliest memory of it and what did you guys think? I just remember in January when I was saying to my friend, oh, there's this disease in China which is spreading, but, you know, you didn't really expect it to come over all the way to the UK. I just kind of saw it slowly unfolding. But I just remember there was so much uncertainty in March because people didn't really know if it was serious. People say it's just like the flu, it's a cold, it's this, it's that. And mm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. This, the response has been quite slow, to say the least, in my opinion. Yeah, that's similar to me. I think maybe February was the first time I was aware, but without there being much clarity. And my only other memory of anything comparable to this is the like the Ebola outbreak, where it was like very much confined to Africa. So I guess I sort of assumed that this might be the same sort of thing with it being confined to China or Asia. So yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system when it started escalating in the UK. Yeah, same with me. The first time that I heard about it was, I think, February time while I was in my university lectures. And, you know, some of my tutors kept talking about, um, you know, just be aware because of this virus. And I just remember thinking, you know, similar to you, Mark, I just thought it was confined to China. I didn't think much of it, you know, being as 
big as it is now. As widespread as it is, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Isn't she everywhere? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's also got something to do with the, with the WHO, obviously, because it took a while to declare it as as large scale as it was. And so maybe countries like us were very slow to respond. Uh, yeah. So yeah. in March, yeah. in March is where most of everything from conference to COBRA meetings to closures of basically everything started to happen. What do you guys think of how they've handled it monetary-wise? As in um, the Chancellor's response? Yes, Rishi Sunak, obviously, he um, he declared the government first government budget and the furlough scheme and the emergency support packages, all of that. I personally think that um, Rishi Sunak has done an excellent job in terms of, I think that's one of the um, positives the government is, is their economic response into ensuring that self-employed people um, are, are covered um, uh, to ensure that people have 80% of their wages and job um, companies don't feel pressure to let go of their workers and um, the fact that all homeless people were given temporary accommodation during um, lockdown. So I feel like on that side, I always have to say the monetary response was quite, um, was quite effective in that respect. I agree. I think considering, you know, the scale of it and considering that, you know, this country, I could be wrong, but this country has never seen anything so big like this since, like, I think the Second World War was the last time we saw something like this. Mm. So considering the scale of it, I think, yeah, I agree. They've done an amazing job. Yeah, I think as well, um, obviously the initial furlough scheme went down really well, but also uh, the as they're sort of slowly pushing people back, they've maintained the furlough scheme. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think until August. Yeah, uh, with, they've actually extended it into October now. October, yeah. yeah. So there were rumours uh, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, like the companies might be forced to pay a high percentage of it or certain sectors might be ruled out of it. So I think it's good that they've, uh, at least in financial respect, put the put health over the economy. They provided a blanket of security for most businesses and employees of those businesses. And I think that's so important because, you know, you want you want to be at home knowing that your job is still there or you're being paid something to yeah. carry on maintaining your living costs. Yes, of course, especially with mortgage breaks being given as well. So it means that people can at least plan for the future and um, temporarily they can just be worried about their health, which I think was obviously first and foremost everyone's worry at the time, or still is their worry, to, to be fair, but yeah. That, that's also around the time when they started um, declaring all these furlough schemes and plans. They also sent out, did you guys receive it, the text, the government alert? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I screenshotted that and I was like, oh, no, I don't know. Maybe show my kids like this really happened. <laughs> it's daunting. <laughs> it is. And I kind of thought the FBI agent is really watching me, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time they've yeah. ever done something like this. Yeah. Yeah, like even um, certain like vulnerable people receiving a letter from Boris Johnson yeah. or from the government, it's um, it shows that they're sort of making efforts to try and make things as personal as possible. Definitely, I think no matter what, they've really maintained that communication, whether it be from the press conferences or the letters or the texts. That communication level has been there. I do have to say, though, I think the communication has been there, but at times it just could have been better. I just feel like this government has been quite evasive sometimes. And um, they. I, I always feel that, you know, in my opinion, lockdown measures could have been implemented sooner. But I don't really like to rely on the past because, you know, this is an ongoing pandemic and we need to find ways to do better and not um, focus on the past. However, in terms of some, I just feel like we haven't seen Boris Johnson enough and fair enough, he's a new dad and he might have nearly died from coronavirus. But wasn't he saying that we were going to lose our loved ones a few weeks ago and wasn't he the one who said he was shaking everyone's hands i think the complacency of our government's also the reason why we have such a high death toll so yeah what do you think lillian because obviously in that i keep mentioning march because march is one heck of a month for the coronavirus in the yeah. uk but obviously the prime minister tested positive in that month dominic cummings went on his nice little drive to durham in that month <laughs> so you did see that um you know government saying one thing and then something else happening within the ranks what do you think mm -hmm. um i think of you know confusion and i did feel like there were times that you know the government didn't really heed their own advice or mm -hmm. they didn't take it as seriously as they could have because, mm -hmm. you know, you know, maybe they thought it would come and go or maybe they didn't think it would be as serious as it is. But yeah, I do feel like um, they could have taken it more seriously. Uh, so I think there was maybe a bit of a delayed response at the start, but um, and then uh, in the middle, it seemed to be going quite well with Johnson's TV appearances and press conferences. And then the last couple of weeks or so, it's maybe falling away a bit with mixed messages, particularly with the Cummings thing. And um, uh, but yeah, so I think uh, it has been good in parts, but it's starting to, it's not necessarily consistent. Mm, no, I agree. It's the consistency that has created a bit of tension, I think, whereby, I don't know if you guys have seen the controversy with Newsnight, whereby Emily Maitlis made, a, made an introductory statement and it was um, labeled as impartial because she mentioned that, you know, you're telling the public to do one thing, but while you're doing another, you're just, yeah. you're creating a mixed message and people now don't know what to do. Am I breaking them or am I following them? Yeah, I think that sort of comes down to your opinion of um, impartiality because obviously the BBC is publicly funded, so 
they sh like like some of their programs so for example the news has to have like it can't take one side or the other but then other programs do uh, take one side or the other so there's a fine line obviously the bbc did say that that statement uh didn't i think i can't remember their, the way they phrased it but they said it didn't meet their standards of impartiality but then they also said that um that emily natelis wasn't stopped from presenting the next episode of newsnight she just chose to have it off so i think it's a bit of a gray area really mm, i agree yeah, it was a grey area, but I, I think, I, although I understand BBC, the BBC has a responsibility to show impartial news to everyone, I also think that in this circumstance, this is such, it's a public emergency and we have a government which is lying to cover up a, a special advisor who's not even elected. I feel like in normal circumstances, this guy would have been sacked as soon as and people started complaining about it. But the fact that every cabinet minister has supported him after two um, stories have revealed that he went to Durham, um, and then he said he had with poor eyesight and all these um, lines which just do, don't really make sense anymore and I just feel like the public feel like they're being taken for mugs and we're not and so many people have missed out on funerals and haven't been to weddings and have and aren't, aren't able to be with their loved ones when they're passing away and then you just have a, a, a man who's very high up in government like um Boris Johnson's right-hand guy just going to Durham for a day and or however long and you know enjoying his time I just don't think it's fair so I agree with you and you know it's also I feel like you know one minute they're saying you know go to the shop buy essentials the next minute you know there's police on the streets they're finding people you know they don't know where these people are going they don't know what's going on however they still have to do it. And, um, you know, I think, I can't remember when it was, but I did hear that Boris said that children can start going back to school as of June. And I'm yeah. thinking, you know, one minute, you know, we have to stay indoors. The next minute, you know, we're being punished for going outside. But, you know, like you said about Cummings, he's, you know, having day trips and nothing's really being done about it. I do think it's really unfair. I think um, the transparency is quite a big issue in this and the mixed messaging because mm -hmm. um, I yeah. think maybe there, there wouldn't have been so much of an issue if Cummings at the time had said, like, I'm going to do my isolation in Durham so that I can get childcare. Or people might have, like, raised eyebrows, like, you're not technically supposed to do that. But people yeah. wouldn't, like, there wouldn't have been a lot for But I think the fact yeah. that like the lack of transparency and lack of honesty is the bigger problem and especially now when like we're sort of trying to ease lockdown restrictions and use track and trace the public trust is absolutely essential which mm -hmm. I yeah, obviously agree. I agree yep I think that's the main the, the main point with the way that some of the things have been handled whereby you know We've had all these very beneficial schemes and we've even had, you know, the government has ordered a lot from Turkey or the US for, you know, protective equipment for the NHS. But at the same time, you, you have to match 
what you're doing for the NHS or for businesses with what you are portraying yourself to the public? Can we expect them to act in line with what you've told them? That's of course. Right. They've completely undermined their strategy, in my opinion. I just don't feel like they, I feel the government right now lacks legitimacy for supporting Cummings and it's just such a shame because they were doing well and I wanted them to do, to do well. People are dying, why wouldn't you? But I just, the scandal, I just don't think you can let go of it. it. It's just not a great look, in my opinion. No, and I think also for the members of the public, for us who aren't in the government, it's kind of like, it's not so much hurtful, but it's kind of like, oh, like, wow. Makes it seem pointless. Yeah, mm. like, why are you telling us to do this, but then, you know, so he's allowed to do that. It's kind of like, well, why shouldn't we go outside? Like, why exactly. shouldn't we do that? Yeah. Exactly. I, I think especially with the nature of the track and trace thing, which is meant to be sort of our key to get out of lockdown, it relies on people firstly reporting when they fall in ill and then if they get a message saying that they've come into contact with someone who has the virus they then need to to isolate for 14 days and considering you're relying on the public to actively take those steps if they don't trust the government they're going to be a lot less happy to do so yeah. exactly this also comes about with the fact that today the PM announced that you can meet groups of six starting Monday and, you know, opening primaries and nurseries and the track and trace system. So there's clearly a relaxation of lockdown, even though, as you may know, it's also been announced that um, we have the highest rate of deaths. Yeah. So you've got the two where, you know, sometimes you also have to make your own decisions where the media's portraying a very large scale crisis in the UK, but you need to set your mind up with, well, the government is easing the lockdown. So who, who am I believing or who, what, what's going on exactly with the rate of infection and the rate of deaths? <sighs> Honestly, it's I, it's such a dichotomy. I sit there and I'm, I'm trying to balance my mind. What is the truth and what's not? I, there's still people dying. Uh, coronavirus hasn't disappeared. But when you go, I'm going for a walk on bank holiday weekend, everyone's chilling in the parks. Like there is no, we're not in the middle of pandemic. And it's just kind of hard to weigh up those, um, to balance it in your mind. I just, I, I don't feel like anyone knows the answer, but I feel like... At the moment, two um, recently, Rishi Sunak says that 2.1 billion, no billion, million people are now relying on job seeker allowance, and that's an alarming statistic. Obviously, the furlough scheme can't last forever. Obviously, stop, shops can't stay closed forever. So I feel like, and right now, um, it's kind of scaring the government. They need to jumpstart the economy again it's been said that we might we're probably going to have one of the worst recessions ever in our like the whole world will probably be in the global recession so i feel like it's really way weighing on all governments minds to be honest mm -hmm. but there are some there all we also have to you know it's such a mind-boggling crime you don't even a crisis in yourself as well you don't know what to do or how to act or how to portray yourself but amidst it all you know we do have to remember the good news where you know you've got tom moore and you've got 
who raised, you know, yeah. 25 million and payment to families of workers of NHS and care workers who are receiving 60,000 pounds job retention schemes you know vaccine development a lot of money is being poured into that almost i think 42 million has been announced for it so there you know we we cloud it sometimes by focusing a lot on what isn't going right and we forget that there is work being put into a lot of areas that you know need it like the nhs I think the biggest thing for me is just the whole confusion around it. Like, obviously, um, as of next week, we're allowed to meet up in groups of six. However, you don't know which one of those might have the virus. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just a bit frightening. Like, you know, people could meet up with their friends in groups of six and then one of them could have the virus, someone else could contract it. And, you know, it's almost like we're back to square one again. So I really- So you think with, you know, you think with everything being poured into things like the NHS, it kind of seems contradictory if you're maybe breeding a ground for even more infection? I think not so much contradictory. I just think, you know, there's a lot of anxiety there. Like for me, I've got family who you know, work in hospitals. So I just feel anxious, like for them, I think, is this gonna happen again? Like, you know, is that strain gonna happen again? There's just a lot we don't know about it. It's really uncertain, yeah. What What do you yeah, guys no. think? Because there's a lot of positives going on and it, it does put faith in some people at least that there's everything's under control. Yeah, I think um, obviously, there is always going to be anxiety because we haven't been through this before. Uh, what I think we should try and remember, if we can, is that the policies realistically are being drawn up by, or at least on the advice of the medical officers and people that are actually experts in their field. Uh, I do wonder if maybe we could, as the public, we could do with hearing from them directly a bit more, because obviously they stand next to whoever's doing the daily briefing but usually it the headlines at least focus on what boris johnson or what matt hancock has said so i think maybe to ease the public it might be good to maybe just hear chris witty assure us that that th these are positive steps and that there isn't going to be a major second wave i agree i think it would put a lot of people at ease if they hear it from medical professions as opposed to politicians or the prime minister because um if someone hears it from a medical profession like you said mark it will put everyone at ease but you know if you hear it from the prime minister or another member of parliament you know they're not really specialized in that field so i think yeah i agree with what you said yeah, I agree with medical professionals being a bit more present and vocal. I just don't think the government wants them to be, if I'm going to be completely honest. Their rhetoric at the beginning was, we're following the science. And in my opinion, I interpreted it as, you're, you're manipulating the science. That's very different. Like, you're fitting the science to meet the strategy you want to, like, sell to the people. And that's completely fair. But I also think it's a fallback 
back plan for when the strategy doesn't go well they can blame the science when it's just not really how it works i feel like um the whole talk about a vaccine so early it's great to know that we're investing loads of money it's great to know an oxford team found a vaccine and are currently trialing it however stop selling dreams to the public we're going to be in this uncertainty for quite a while and we need to make sure this like vaccine is safe to be um be like widely used so i just think this talk of a vaccine is kind of false hope we need to think of ways which we can manage the virus which is why which is a positive the fact that we have this contact tracing app which hopefully means that we can manage it in a controlled way i just don't think you should be selling dreams to the public when realistically a vaccine is not going to come out till next year, which the scientists have said um, on multiple occasions. See, I think that's quite interesting. I think in terms of hearing from the scientists, uh, it's something that uh, you guys touched last talk about podcasts in, uh, in relation to Donald Trump, the way that he had his scientists or advisors standing next to him when he was talking yes. about injecting bleach, but they were too scared or for whatever reason didn't speak out and in the press conference today uh one of um uh, i think it was laura koonsberg asked a question about what the um the chief medical officer's opinion was about Dom dominic cummings and johnson sort of stepped in and prevented them from answering so i think <laughs> yeah so i think it does sort of Although it would be helpful for us to hear from uh, the advisors, it, I do sort of think it feeds into what you were saying about the government doesn't actually want us to hear from them. It's more just a sort of a get out of jail free card for them. Yeah. It's politics, though. You have to remember it's politics. And I, I want to know Lillian's input on this as well, because this exact um, issue we're talking about now feeds into the fact that as you may have seen those protests against lockdown. Yeah. So um, <laughs> clearly the people are feeling the tension, but um, it's, yeah. it's, it's spurring protests that are kind of not solving the issue, kind of just breeding it. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen and from what I've heard, um, you know, to do with this vaccine, like a lot of people are against a vaccine for, you know, whatever reason. Um, I don't know, it's it's quite tricky. Because... as Yeah, it's true, because as Mark said, yeah. you know, you want to hear from the experts, but you've... You have to manage panic, and you have to manage, you know, you have over, you know, we have, what, 60 million UK population if the same thing as panic buying toilet roll occurred is mm. it's even more dreadful well that's why i completely don't hate the government for the like how they implemented the um lockdown measures a bit later than um, one would have expected because they they know this country if you said stay in from, I don't know, beginning of March, a lot of people would have probably broken them a lot earlier. I just, you have to, in China, in Wuhan, where they had, in Italy, with very strict lockdown measures, maybe um, in China particularly because of the mass surveillance, it's easy to track people breaking it. Whereas here, it, you, we just don't have that, we don't have that technology and we don't have that science kind of society. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's not in our society to do those things. 
But um, as well, you know, I don't know what your input is on this, Mark, but it's, you know, some people say better late than never. So you've got, you know, there's new rules going out for travellers where once you step foot back into this country, you have to quarantine for 14 days. So they are learning, I guess, from other countries' um, experiences and how they've managed it so far. So I guess it could still, they're trying. Yeah, I mean, I think with um with the travelers coming back in like i think uh the government's argument is that when the level of cases was so high uh, anyway in the uk it wouldn't necessarily make too much difference posing restrictions on people coming in because one or however many people coming in from another area isn't going to have a major in, uh, impact whereas now as things are improving now you do want to sort of limit uh, people that come in. Uh, also, I think, um, uh, yeah, also in terms of uh, reopening uh, the country after lockdown, uh, there, obviously Britain isn't the first, I think countries like the Austria, there are a number of others, New Zealand, which are opening back up. And the advantage of Britain being a couple of weeks behind is that ideally Britain will be able to learn from their mistakes and make sure that they can avoid certain actions or if something works they can base our actions off that so um, like I mean we, we won't know for a while whether it was the right decision to sort of delay going into lockdown we might never know like it will probably be something that's always debated but you can see how there could be positives that come out of everything being slightly more delayed in the UK. I agree. I agree. So just yeah. to just to wrap up, the, currently or, or yesterday, deaths are thirty-seven thousand, and we are seeing a shift in the way you know we've got our tracing system, and we've also. You know, a lot of people may sometimes forget that with places like or countries like the UK or America, they're, they're large countries, you know, so dealing with things on such a large scale can sometimes leave things, leave some blind spots or leave things unattended to as much as they should be. So to wrap up, what do you guys think could be done to move on or could be done better or should be left out or, you know, with the whole Cummings thing, what would you like to see the government do more of? Um, for me, I would like to see a lot more communication and, you know, a lot more honesty so that us as the public don't think that they're acting suspicious or sweeping things under the carpet or whether they're, um, you know, acting in favour of certain people as opposed mm -hmm. to others. And I also would like to see, um, well, personally, I would like to see more medical professionals, you know, standing with, you know, probably standing vocalizing with there. or Yeah, or vocalising so that he doesn't have to. So, you know, that can put us at ease. Because, um, you know, due to the lack of communication and 
you know, the public feeling like these people are being dishonest. We, you know, we, wait, I've lost my train of thought, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we right. feel like, <laughs> we feel like, you know, why should we comply if they're acting some type of way, if they're acting dishonest? Yeah, I think communication is key, really, because um, everything uh, everything we're doing relies on the public making sacrifices and keeping to what the government tells us. So I think the more transparent they can be, the better. Uh, I think it's possibly a little bit too late with the Cummings issue because if they sacked him tomorrow, like that would just cause more controversy about why they didn't do it earlier. So, I mean, some mistakes can't necessarily be undone, but I think if we, if they could just be as transparent as possible and encourage the public that we're in good hands, then that will just make whatever, whatever they decide to do going forward. Mm. I agree with everyone on the transparency point. Um, I just feel like honesty and transparency is what's going to get going to get us through all of this. We all know no one has been has been through this as something of this magnitude before. But I just feel like as long as you're honest with the public and you don't take them for fools, then most most of the time they're going to be quite forgiving. Um, they should increase NHS and um, low-paid workers' pay. Um, I think claps for um, NHS workers and carers is quite futile without upping their pay, so maybe we can yeah. support them a bit more. And also I'd like to see what happens with the um, BA BAME um, inquiry as to, I don't know if you heard about how they're more susceptible to catching and suffering severely from COVID-19. So. I want to yeah. see what action they're going to take in ensuring that particular particular vulnerable groups are protected in the right ways, especially because of the disproportionate amount of BAME employees, um, NHS employees who did die from coronavirus who are dying still. So, yeah, I think those are points I'd like to see. Yeah, I think you've made some. Yeah, uh, I think you made some good points there. I think. Uh, it was interesting what you're saying actually about rewarding the healthcare workers as well because obviously they want to try and keep the public on side as much as possible so uh, so maybe if they can introduce some sort of reward system whether it be a pay rise for nhs staff uh, then yeah. that might be something which is beneficial going forward obviously with the recession it's going to be difficult but it would be interesting if they could introduce that sort of element to things okay absolutely well thank you guys for joining me on this episode it has been a pleasure to have you on here and it's been a very insightful insightful discussion um so yeah thank you mm -hmm.